In this episode, we'll continue with a continuation of looking at the continuation vehicles and their original models, this time with Aston Martin. Welcome to the Classic Sports Car, a tribute to the sporting classics of a bygone era. Hello, everybody. This is Tom, who for the last 30 years have been turning keys, turning wrenches, and turning over rocks and pages to buy, repair, and learn all about classic sports cars. Well, it's August in the summer of 2022, and in the world of classic sports cars and classic cars in general, August means really one thing, the Monterey Car Week. And I'm recording this episode in early August, so hopefully this will get out in time for some of the information, some of the news I'm sharing with you to be be on the air before the actual event. If not, we can look back upon what I'm sharing with you. And when we take a look at some of the results of Monterey, maybe in an upcoming episode, we can see if any of this came true. So the 2022 Monterey Car Week, which is the week-long event of historic racing car shows, Concours d'Elegance, and lots and lots of auctions, takes place this year from Friday, August 12th to Sunday, August 21st. And Sports Car Digest has an interesting article about one of the events that will be taking place at Monterey this year. It's called the Rolex Monterey Motorsport Reunion. And I'll read a little bit about this event from sportscardigest.com. And this year they're highlighting the 100th anniversary of the 24-hour Le Mans. So this year, the 2022 Rolex Monterey Motorsport Reunion is featuring a display of overall winners, class winners, and other significant cars from the past 100 years of Le Mans. These are the actual cars curated from museums and private collections from around the world. Many of the cars will run demonstration laps during the four days of the RMMR, which is the Rolex Monterey Motorsport Reunion. So here are some of the Le Mans cars that will be running demonstration laps. So if you have an opportunity to either visit the event or maybe catch some of the coverage on television, maybe you'll get an opportunity to see some of this. So these go in order of date. First one on the list, a 1929 Bentley Speed 6, driven by the original Bentley Boys to consecutive wins in 1929 and 1930. Next up on their list is a 1951 Porsche 356-2, the very first Porsche entered in the 24 hours, and class winner. A 1952 Mercedes 300SL, the W194, the first German car ever to achieve an overall victory at Le Mans. A 1955 Jaguar D-Type. Remember we talked about this car and the Jaguar D-Type success at Le Mans. So this was the 1956 overall winner. Second of three consecutive overall wins for the D-Type. Next up on their list is a 1965 Ferrari 250 LM, the last Ferrari to capture overall honors in 1965. Next, the original Ford GT40s that dominated the winning overall in 1966, 67, 68, and 69. 84 Mazda Lola T616, a 2005 Audi R8 LMP1, and a 2007 Peugeot 908 HDI. And they indicate that besides these cars on display, another 12 group runs will be on track each day. And you can go over the website and see a list of some of the other events and cars that will be racing. And I will post the links to all these articles I'm talking about, both on 
my website, theclassicsportscar.com, and also in the show notes for this episode. Always one of the big events at the Monterey Motor Week is the auctions. And there's always multiple companies that are there with vehicles to auction off. And a lot of times world records are broken at the auctions at Monterey. And Classic and Sports Car Magazine over on their website has an interesting article about the top of the lots. Their article reads, one of the most important weeks of the international car collector scene is upon us, the Monterey Car Week in California. For many, the world-famous Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance is the highlight, but this is one of the great many events, including five auctions. And here we've corralled the top 20 cars for sale during Monterey Car Week 2022, according to their pre-sale estimates. However, we had to exclude Meekum because their estimates were not available at the time of writing. So this excludes Meekum. And I did jump over to the Meekum website and saw some of the cars they're going to have there and the ones that they feature, the top ones. And I'll share those with you also after I go through this article with you. So this article lists the top 20 lots. Let me jump to number 10. We'll just go through the top 10 based upon pre-sale estimates. Number 10 is a 1930 Bentley four and a half liter blower sports tour and pre-sale estimate is seven to nine million dollars. Number nine, a 1931 Bentley eight liter sports tour, another seven to nine million dollar estimate. Number eight, a 1957 Ferrari 550 Testarossa Spider, eight to ten million dollar estimate. A 53 Ferrari 375 MM Spider, eight to ten million dollar estimate. A 1924 Hispana Suiza, eight to ten million dollar estimate. Number five, a 1938 Talbo Lago, nine to eleven million dollar estimate. And number four, a 1958 Maserati 450S, nine to eleven million dollar estimate. Number three, a 1937 Mercedes Benz 540K, once again nine to twelve million dollar estimate. Number two, a 1937 Bugatti Type 57 SC. 10 to 12 million dollar estimate and the number one vehicle a 1955 ferrari 410 sports spider estimated between 25 and 30 million dollars and for this number one it says it benefits the price this is a very special car it's one of just two factory ferraris campaigned with the 24 spark plug 4.9 liter v12 engine and one of a handful both designed and bodied by scaglietti it was also raced by Juan Manuel Fangio at the 1956 Buenos Aires 1000 kilometer, as well as Carol Shelby driving for John Edgar. And jumping over at Meekum, if you take a look at their website, they don't, at least I couldn't find pre-sale estimates, and they kind of categorize their vehicles as either a main attraction or a star, and just the ones at the top of their website that they're highlighting as main attractions a 1965 Shelby 427 competition Cobra and a 1990 Ferrari F40 and then there's some additional there's a Ferrari LaFerrari another Ferrari LaFerrari prototype another Ferrari LaFerrari prototype a Duesenberg a Bugatti Type 37 another Duesenberg and the list goes on so if you get a chance hopefully you can watch some of the coverage available on the internet or on some of the cable channels that highlight this incredible event. A little bit more auction news, this one taking place in September. A number of online publications have some information about this, and I'm pulling this one here from Haggerty.com. 
and they headline it with a $20 million Texan collection to go under the hammer. Texas kitchen entrepreneur Gene Ponder is selling off his 120-strong collection of European sports cars. Over the course of 15 years, Ponder gathered an incredible number of rare original classics and recreations, but has now decided to get rid of them in one amazing garage sale. Hosted by R.M. Sotheby's at Ponder's purpose-built facility in Marshall, Texas, the sale includes the deep red 1967 Ferrari 330 GTC, which Haggerty estimates at $675,000, and a 1960 Mercedes-Benz 300SL. Once again, Haggerty estimates that at $1.75 million. Also offered is one of only 14 1935 MGPB airline coupes and an exact replica of a 1936 Bugatti Atlantic built with authentic parts in Switzerland. I jumped over to ClassicMotorsport.com once again, and they've got an article about this event. And this one's headline, A Collection of Rare and Unique MGs Go Up for Auction This September. And it's the same Gene Ponder collection, and they just highlight some of the MGs that are going to be included. And one of them is a 59 MG MGA Twin Cam Special, a 1935 MGPB Airline Coupe by Car Bodies, a 1953 MGTD Supercharged Special, and a 1933 MGK1 K3. It's either Magnet or Magneti Conversion. So if you're interested in picking up some rare MGs or other vehicles near the Texas area, might want to consider going by this auction in September. And keeping with the MG theme here for another moment, how fast would you like to go in an MGB? Or would you feel comfortable or safe going in an MGB? How about 162 miles per hour? Once again, at ClassicMotorsport.com, there's an article about an MGB built by Snake River Classics hits 162 miles per hour at Sun Valley Tour de Force. And the article reads, what's the fastest you've ever gone in an MGB? 100? 120? How about hitting a top speed of 162.1 miles per hour? That's how fast the folks at the Snake River Classics went in a modernized GM Turbo 4-powered MGB during the 1922 Sun Valley Tour de Force, a three-day celebration of speed that takes place in central Idaho. The headline event for the Sun Valley Tour de Force is a no-speed-limit run at Sawtooth National Recreation Area's Phantom Hill. The current record for the event, 253.01 miles per hour from a Bugatti Chiron. Now, I'm not quite sure I'd want to go 162 miles per hour in an MGB, even if it's been updated and modified, but that's just me. And one last item in our news segment here, and this comes from CarsUK.net. Bentley Speed 6 Continuation Series announced. Nearly three years ago, Bentley announced it was making a run of 12 continuation builds of its most famous car, Tim Birkin's 1929 supercharged 4.5 liter blower. Now with the blower Bentley continuation a huge success, Bentley is repeating the recipe by building another classic Bentley as a 12 model continuation run, the Le Mans winning Bentley Speed 6. Just like the blowers, the Speed 6 continuation models will be created using 3D CAD models from the original using two original cars, old number 3 and Bentley's own Speed 6. Old number three was the third of three speed sixes entered by Bentley in the 1929 Le Mans race and is still road legal and raced by its owner. 
and Bentley's own Speed 6 is a 1929 model with Vandenplas body, just like the original racers, and will be used to benchmark performance and handling. The new Speed 6s will be created by Bentley's Mulliner division, with the first cars assembled later this year. But if you want one, you're already too late. They're all sold out at 1.5 million pounds each. So Bentley continuing their continuation phase, and this next one completely sold out already before they're even available for sale. In this episode, I want to continue diving into the original vehicles behind the continuation craze. In episode 8, I discussed the various continuation vehicles that have hit the market over the past few years. And in the last two episodes, I dove into the original Jaguar C-Type and the Jaguar D-Type to try to get a bit of, uh, of an understanding and some of the history of what inspires manufacturer to create a finely crafted and expensive follow-on. I want to continue this discovery, and this time with Aston Martin. Now, a few years back, Aston Martin jumped into the continuation pool and to date have brought to market three models, the DB4 GT, the DB4 GT Zagato, and the Goldfinger DB5. Now, if you're a car lover, hopefully you're already at least somewhat familiar with the DB5, and especially its connection to James Bond. So I'm going to concentrate here on the DB4s. But to really understand the uniqueness of the DB4 GT and the DB4 GT Zagato, and therefore its worthiness to join the continuation craze, we have to start with the DB4 and talk a little bit about its origin and evolution. The David Brown era with Aston Martin begins when the industrialist buys Aston Martin in 1947. Now with that purchase, he inherits a vehicle that will become the DB1. And although it's praised for how it's engineered and designed, it's underpowered. And in the end, only 15 are ever sold. Well, fortunately for Aston Martin, David Brown also purchased Lagonda. And they had somewhat of a brand new 2.6 liter double overhead cam straight six engine, which had been designed by W.O. Bentley, who had been Lagonda's technical director since 1935. So David Brown had the DB1 chassis modified to accept this 2.6 liter engine, and the DB2 was created. Now, just as a side note, the DB are David Brown's initials that we hear in the DB1, the DB2, DB3, DB4, and onward. Now, this DB2 lived on in various configurations, such as the DB2/4, and then the DB Mark III, and this carried Aston through the 1950s. Now, about 1955, Aston Martin began working on a new replacement vehicle, and David Brown agreed to the development of an entirely new vehicle, meaning it was designed from scratch with nothing carried over from the DB2 series vehicles. This new vehicle was called the DB4. Aston Martin jumped from the 2 to the 4 for its road cars because the DB3 name had already been used for its race car starting in 1951. Now, let's take a look at the DB4. For the body, Aston Martin went Italian. Carrozzeria Turing of Milan, which had designed bodies for Ferrari, Alfa Romeo, Lancia, Maserati, and Lamborghini, among others, designed and built the DB4 body using their super lights, or what it was called in Italy, their super leggera approach, which used aluminum panels over a lattice of small tubes to define the body shape. Now, Aston Martin had planned on using a tubular chassis but when Turing saw their plans, they told him it wouldn't work for their design. They wanted a platform chassis, 
which is where the floor and the sills and transmission tunnel, the front and rear bulkheads and wheel arches are welded together as one substructure, which makes it very rigid and desirable to build a body around. So Aston Martin created a pressed steel platform type frame, and this would be used at Aston Martin on various vehicles through the 1970s. Now, the engine they used was a beautiful 3.7-liter twin-cam straight-six, which was allegedly inspired by the Jaguar XK engine. And if you've seen these two engines, they do have similarities. This double-overhead cam straight-six had a cast-aluminum cylinder head and block. It produced 240 horsepower with twin-SU carburetors. It also had servo-assisted four-wheel disc brakes, and initially had 16-inch wheels, but in 1962 moved over to 15-inch wheels. It had independent front suspension using ball-jointed wishbones, coil springs, and rack and pinion steering. And Aston originally wanted to go with a Dadeon rear suspension, but they found this approach transmitted too much sound back into the cabin via the transmission casing. So a live rear axle using coil springs and a Watts linkage was used in its place. Now the DB4 could do close to 140 miles per hour and 0 to 60 in 9.3 seconds, both of which were world-class for that era. The DB4 was introduced at the 1958 London Motor Show and caused quite a sensation. The car was also quite expensive, costing 3,967 pounds, which was over twice the cost of a brand new Jaguar XK150. Overall, 1,113 DB4s were produced through 1963, and many look at the DB5 and the DB6, which followed, as really just continuations of what had begun with the DB4. When you have a very well-designed and successful car, but want to improve upon it, especially for those interested in taking it racing, what do you do? Well, if you're Aston Martin, you create the DB4 GT. The DB4 GT was introduced in 1959, the same year Aston Martin won the overall title at Le Mans with their DBR1. Now the GT was a special, lightweight, high-performance version of the DB4. It was slimmer than the DB4 in both size and weight. Its wheelbase was shortened by 5 inches, which eliminated the rear seats and also resulted in shorter doors. It had thinner aluminum skin, plexiglass, rear windows, quarter windows, and headlamp covers, and the roll-down windows were now frameless. All this additional weight savings resulted in the GT coming in at 2,705 pounds on the scales. The engine was spiced up with higher compression, a twin spark plug head was added, and triple Weber 45 carburetors. This bumped the power up to 302 horsepower at roughly 6,000 RPM, which enabled it to claim title to the most powerful British car of its time. Top speed also improved, it was now 142 miles per hour, and it could go from 0 to 100 and back to 0 in under 20 seconds, thanks to its upgraded girling four-wheel disc brakes. This car could be purchased and driven on the street, although many of them were modified and raced. And overall, just 75 GTs were built. And of these 75, six were built as factory lightweights. Now I'm going to jump over to an article that was written a few years ago on Sports Car Digest profiling the DB4 GTs. And they write, of the 75 standard DB4 GTs, only six were known to have full factory lightweight construction details. The lightweight concept came about when certain Aston dealers and major racing teams requested GTs, which could be competitive with Ferrari's SWB 250 Berlinettas in international grand touring racing. 
the half dozen lightweights are divided into two subspecies. We can divide the first of these as, quote, build sheet GTs, close quote, since they originally ordered with this specification and are so described on the factory build sheets and in the Aston Martin Owners Club Registry. The other lightweight type is the, quote, bespoke, close quote, or service department created GTs. Ex-Aston Martin chief engineer and head of racing Ted Cutting clarified the two types in a previous letter. And then they go on to quote the letter. Quote, the cars ordered and built as lightweights from the start were so described on their build sheets and completed by the competition department or in some cases by the service department, depending upon the workload of each group at that time. The bespoke GT chassis were modified to lightweight spec after build completion, but before their final assembly by the service shop, close quote. Then here's some technical aspects of the DB4 GT lightweights. The chassis weight was reduced by aluminum replacement of the standard car steel parts, also by hole cutting, and by total elimination of certain other parts. So here's how this breaks down. So weight reduction via alloy replacement of steel items include door, bonnet, and boot framing, wheel arches, engine compartment side panels, upper half of firewall, all cockpit floor sections, rear parcel shelf and rear riser panels, battery and toolbox lids, rear boot pan, front kick panels, and the drive shaft tunnel. Now weight reduction via hole cutting was done to front cross members, front side rails, rear watts linkage brackets, and brake line brackets. And then weight reduction by elimination was done by removing group radio, speakers and heater, glove box lid, one of two bonnet stay rods, the clock, the windshield washer bottle pump and fittings, and the bumpers and overriders. So that's from sportscardigest.com, and I will include a link to that article in the show notes. In long-distance racing, the GTs were almost as fast and nimble as their Ferrari competitors, but, and this is a big but, the GTs were still too heavy and nicely equipped to be super competitive. So Aston tried harder, and this effort resulted in the DB4 GT Zagato. Since nothing more could really be done to reduce chassis size and weight, a new body was designed and built by Zagato of Italy, which created a lighter body with a curvaceous shell. It incorporated a plain oval grille, Barani wire wheels, and a smoothed out rear end without the GT's tail fins. Also, the engine cover exchanged the air scoop for two bubbles that run almost the length of the hood to allow for carburetor clearance. Now, only 19 were ever created, and definitely they were intended for the track, which can explain the variations in detail builds among those 19, and the fact that most were not built or delivered with bumpers. Now, rolling chassis were sent to Italy for body installation, but painting and final assembly were performed by Aston Martin at Newport Bagnell. Now, more modifications were made to the 3.7 liter dual spark inline six engine, increasing compression to 9.7 pounds to one, which pushed horsepower up to 314 and top speed 153 miles an hour. The overall car was about 100 pounds lighter than the GT and definitely more aerodynamic. And although more competitive on the track than the GT, their overall racing success was a bit inconsistent. Two Zagatos raced in the 1961 Le Mans, but both retired, and in 1962, the one Zagato that was entered blew an engine after about nine and a half hours. 
Now, the cost of running or even just supporting independent race teams was probably the main culprit for a small company like Aston Martin, not really having the success they were hoping for on the racetrack with the Zagato. But they did create a very special car that today commands an extremely high price. And let's take a look at some of the prices that the DB4s in their various configurations have sold for in the last five years or so. Here I'm jumping over to classic.com, which follows the auction market. And you can look up various vehicles on classic.com and see what they've sold for over the last five years. This is primarily following the auctions. So let's take a look at the DB4. And they have kind of a summary section when you look up their vehicles. And with the DB4, over the last five years, it indicates a sales count of 62 vehicles with top sale being 9.5 million and the average sale being 868,462. And it looks like the lowest price at auction with the last five years is $173,600 for a 1958 Aston Martin DB4 Series 1 project, which sold in 2022 at Bonham's Amelia Island auction. So that's the DB4. Let's look at the DB4 GT. The average price of the DB4 GT sold in the last five years is 3.9 million, the lowest sale being 1.6 million, and the top sale being 9.5 million. And then the Aston Martin DB4 GT Zagato, it lists two sales in the last five years, the average price being 8 million, the lowest price being 2.8 million, and the top sale being 13.3 million. Well, that just says two of them sold, one sold for 2.8 million and one sold for 13.3 million in the last five years. So that's what we're looking at from a price standpoint over the last few years for Aston Martin DB4 GTs and DB4 GT Zagatos, which definitely point to a justification for creating some continuation vehicles. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Classic Sports Car and look at the Aston Martin DB4s in its various configuration. Feel free to shoot me an email at tom at theclassicsportscar.com or follow the Classic Sports Car on Facebook. I'll have links to some of the places I've been learning about the DB4 GT and the DB4 GT Zagato, plus the information from the news section down in the show notes part of the podcast and over at the website at theclassicsportscar.com. Thanks for listening to the show. For additional features, please visit the website theclassicsportscar.com. Please join us again for another episode. Until then, I hope to see you out on the road in your own classic sports car.